1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode fifty three of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al?
0: I'm very well, thank you, Valerie. I'm I'm actually packing, Val. Oh. This is a little bit exciting because you as you know I don't get to go anywhere very much very <laughs> often. So I'm a little bit excited. And you're going to? I'm going to the Somerset Celebration of Literature, which is a children's literary festival up in Queensland. And I'm going to be um, doing some presentations up there and meeting people and talking about writing for four days. So I'm pretty excited.
1: Awesome. What exactly are you going to be talking about?
0: Um, Well, I'm actually doing some school presentations. So I'll be talking to lots of different kids. Um, I think I've got everything from fifth grade to year eight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous about year eight. (laughs) But anyway... um, and I, it's year
1: nine that they go feral, so I think you're
0: okay. You think I'll be okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to be talking about uh, sort of where ideas come from. I, I really like to talk to kids about how they can find ideas around them. And so I talk about, you know, where the idea for the Mapmaker Chronicles came from, and then we talk about all the different elements of a story, and um, I talk about, you know, getting a book published, and I show them my manuscript, oh. and which, of course, they all gasp with excitement, as, yeah. as do I, but then they really like nearly fall over when I show them the number of post-it notes on said manuscript and we talk about the importance of editing and you can sort of see them sitting there going wow okay nine times yeah Yeah. so no it's good I I I actually really enjoy it I I get nervous before I go and then when I'm actually there just sort of you know doing my thing I really really enjoy it It goes so fast I can't believe how fast it goes yeah I bet and it's Mm. a great chance to
1: hang out with other authors as well
0: Oh, yeah, I'm so looking forward to it because, you know, I, I don't actually know that many other authors who write children's fiction, so I'm sort of looking mm. forward to, you know, meeting them.
1: Come back <laughs> with new friends. Oh, I will.
0: <laughs> and We were talking about the importance of making creative friends. Well, I'm, I'm, I've got my friendly face on and <laughs> I'm ready to go
1: exciting. Well, I just came back from Brisbane, actually. Oh, so, there you go. Um, so
0: we, we were like ships
1: yeah, passing ships. in the night. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that was fun. I spoke to a group of um, uh, really, you know, motivated people who were interested in um, becoming key people of influence. So I was at the Key Person of Influence event. And just a shout out to Diane who came up to say hi. She listens to our podcast and um, she actually booked into the event not knowing that I was speaking there. So so it was a, all quite. Um,
0: oh, that's fun! You
1: know, I love a, conne- a
0: good connection like yeah. that. Right? So, um, what do you what do you talk about in your key person of influence?
1: How to build your profile and oh. be a key person of influence. So that's wow. relevant, particularly for writers who want to build their platform, but also for you know some some business owners or consultants or speakers or experts. And um, yeah, it's it's always a great crowd. So I love sharing those ideas with them. Hmm. But I'm. Even more excited about the fact that Alan Cumming has been announced as one of the speakers at the Sydney Writers Festival coming up.
0: Ooh, that is exciting!
1: Yes, I think he's awesome. So and just so talented, and uh, I can't wait to uh, you know to hear him speak actually. And. I believe that there are just a handful of tickets still available, so I've I've nabbed them.
0: Oh. Yes, nabbed them. So there aren't actually any left because you've nabbed them.
1: Well, I haven't nabbed them all, so um, I've nabbed a few.
0: Right, okay. Well done.
1: Very keen to um, uh, see Alan coming. Uh, I think it's always amazing. You know, there are people who are not only writers; they're also actors, they're also producers, they're also stand-up comedians, (laughs) they're also flashies. You know, yeah, just Mm -hmm. incredibly talented people. But anyway, I shall go there and feel inadequate.
0: Excellent. You can tell us all about it.
1: I shall. It's a way away, but um, it's it should be good. But let's have a look at what's been happening in the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week. Uh, I have a cute little link, which okay. I thought I would share with everyone.
0: Are there cats involved in this, Valerie? Well, It's <laughs> not on.
1: the primary purpose of this link, no. There so. may be some cats in there. However, <laughs> um, it's actually a link uh, that features over 15 book-inspired pieces of jewellery. Oh. Oh, it's gorgeous. And they're awesome. so cute for people who are really fans of, you know, certain books. And for example, there's a Hobbit necklace.
0: Oh, that is so cute. It's
1: re that's and it's adorable. And then there's also Hermione's Time-Turner necklace. Oh. Which is uh, um, you know, okay. if you're really really keen. There's also there's a whole range of things, including a wonderful Wizard of Oz ring, where it uh, the the top of it opens. It, it's it's sort of emerald, obviously, and the top oh, of it yes. opens, and wow. there's it's inscription that says "There's no place like home." There's a bit on the side which flips open to become the Yellow Brick Road, and if you look That's into gracious. it, yeah, you, it, it goes to the Land of Oz. So a whole range of cute things: Lord of the Rings e- earrings, clockwork orange necklace oh yeah I know mm-hmm. I don't know whether I'd wear the
2: oh. clockwork
1: orange necklace um there's also a Harry Potter platform nine three and a quarter ring so there, there's something for everyone just oh eating. there
0: is yes. oh that Moby Dick ring is cool
1: yes yes all, yeah, it's all they're all great they're all great
0: maybe I can get one made as a narwhal for my Yes. Yes, for the map makers. You could. We could need some map maker inspired I jewelry. I
1: Yes, you could totally yes. have maps and things. We could have maps. We could have definitely
0: animal teeth. We could have all sorts <laughs> of excitement. <laughs> no, seriously. Yes. Very important that animal tooth. Just yeah. wait.
1: Um, I might wear the map one. Um, <laughs> okay, so. I found something else which I thought was really useful as well, and it is on a blog post from The Right Life, and uh, it's called Should You Self-Publish or Go Traditional? Now, of course, there have been many, many, many blog posts about this topic over you know the last few years, but this is a little bit different in that it's kind of like an infographic, but I don't love infographics, but this I guess is a slightly different infographic because it's like a choose your own adventure thing. So oh. you start at the top and it asks you questions, and then you answer um, questions like do you hope to become a millionaire from your writing? <laughs> yes or no. And then it leads you down the you know the various paths asking you more questions, and it's it basically channels you into the right path as to whether you should pursue self-publishing or whether
0: you should pursue
1: traditional publishing or if, if in fact you're not ready to do either.
0: <laughs> so, I like the answer to the first one. Do you hope to become a millionaire from your writing? Yes, I'm the next J.K. Rowling. And then the response is you're not ready yet. Don't despair. <laughs>
1: Yes, it's very, you know, straightforward as well, which is what I like about it.
0: Oh, that's great. So we'll
1: put the link in the show notes and you can do your own choose your own adventure. Oh, yes. And, you know, see whether you're ready yet or whether you should do self-publishing or whether you should go down the path of traditional publishing. Right. But another interesting uh, turn of events in the world of Australian publishing anyway is – the launch of a new online publication by Maury Schwartz. And he has launched a new online property title called The Real Estate Conversation. Now, I'm not that interested in real estate, but... I'm interested in what Maurice Schwartz does because he uh, is the publisher of the Saturday paper and, uh, you know, which is now edited by people who are ex-Fairfax, ex-Good Weekend and it's, you know, highly respected. It's He's also publisher of The Monthly, which mm-hmm. is also highly respected and it mm-hmm. is a great read and it's one of the few examples of longer-form journalism in Australia. And I'm particularly interested in Maurice Schwartz because his real day job is as a property developer. And he makes gazillions, really, as a property developer, but he's got this passion for publishing. He does. And he funds these publishing... um, you know, uh, ventures uh, on the side when, in fact, the huge bulk of his income um, comes from property development. And um, some people, particularly those who live in Melbourne, may know that he built two of the very large um, towers in the Docklands area, their residences, apartments uh, in the Docklands area, and um, he actually nicknamed them Woodward and Bernstein. (laughs) <laughs> so clearly this love for publishing uh, runs you know, deep. Yes, runs deep, runs right. deep. So. It'll
0: be interesting. I mean, I am interested in real estate, so I would definitely have a look at that.
1: Why are you interested in real estate?
0: Oh, I just am. I always have been. And I'm married to a builder who's well, obsessed, obsessed, who spends his entire time, like honestly, his idea of a good time is just trawling through realestate.com. And, you know, other places, just domain, just to see what's out there. He's just obsessed, yeah. Yeah. I always feel like I'm about to move. Even though I haven't moved anywhere for three years, I always feel like I'm about to because of his, he's always like, oh, what about that? Or, ooh, what about that? Or what about this? Or we could do that. And Constantly, yep. There's a real
1: obsession. For some people, I do know that there is a real obsession with real estate, um, particularly in some areas in Australia where real Mm. estate's really hot. And um, I'm actually really keen to see uh, David Williamson's new play, which is currently playing at the Ensemble in Sydney, and it's called Dream Home. And the whole theme of the whole play is this whole real estate obsession that Mm. particularly Sydneysiders have.
0: Yeah, it's it's quite a – yeah, it is very much a – well – Sydney thing, I think, in some ways, but but then I talk to people from other places, and it seems like everywhere. I think it's an Australian thing. Yes, yes, mm, interesting.
1: Well, anyway, I will let you know about the play
0: after I say it. Excellent. Um, so I found a link this week too, and and I guess it goes back to our conversation earlier about my presentations at Somerset because it's about where ideas come from, and it's a post that talks about how five great writers got started on their first novels, mm. and for people who wonder, like, honestly, it is the one. It is the number one question I think that it's asked at any writer's talk that I've ever been to, exactly. um, at every presentation I've ever done. It's, you know, even though I do an entire presentation on where ideas come from, I <laughs> then get asked, where do I get my ideas? <laughs> I know. Uh, so, it's quite interesting. But this whole thing of where do ideas come from, um, and this is a post that's written by Sarah, I think it's Stoddler, I'm not exactly sure how you say her last name, but it's on the Huffington Post uh, books blog. Yeah. And she was working on a book called Process, The Writing Lives of Great Authors. Um, And she found that even for the best writers in the world, getting started can be the hardest part. And then she talks about, you know, where, so Toni Morrison, where she got the idea for her first novel, The Bluest Eye, and The Spark was a writing group. So she was a 35-year-old pr- professor at Howard University and she joined a writing group just for fun. Wow. Um, and then it became clear that she couldn't remain in the group unless she actually wrote something. <laughs> <laughs> so she started <laughs> writing a book <laughs> about, um, about this group Girl that she um, remembered from elementary school, so from primary school, and she was an African-American girl who had proclaimed her wish to have blue eyes. And that sort of sparked this entire novel that became, you know, a seminal work for Toni Morrison. Um, So she also talks about Zadie Smith, uh, who wrote, of course, White Teeth, which was an amazing... She was 20 years old, put out this novel, this debut that became, you know, acclaimed around the world. Um, And she... Uh, sort of just set out to write a novel about a man who came out of the 20th century in a positive way. Um, and she worked on it while everyone else was getting drunk at university. <laughs> and then she sort of showed it to a few people and off and, and, and out it came. But um, they talk about Ernest Hemingway, you know, a trip to Spain, which, uh, you know, brought about the idea for The Sun Also Rises. So it's just um, one of the ones I found quite interesting was um, Joan Didion, who was a newspaper story Mm. Um, A little story about a man charged with killing his farm's foreman, and it started the whole idea for a book that became Run River, and it was published when she was 28 years old. So, I I guess if you're interested in where ideas come from, then uh, have a look at this blog post, but also, obviously, Sarah Stoddler's book, Process, The Writing Lives of Great Authors. So. Um, yeah.
1: That's a good one. And it yeah. reminds me also of um, uh, the book, uh, The Painted Sky by Alice Campion. And that actually, and Alice Campion is actually a made up name because it's actually been written by five members of a Sydney book club. Oh, yes. And uh, they, they were, you know, having their book club and they were reading all various books and they all sort of thought, we could do this. <laughs> and um, they then subsequently went and did it. And it's uh, been extremely well received. And um, had really great reviews, and we'll actually have one of those authors coming up in an upcoming podcast to yes. learn about how five of them in their book club yeah. ended up with this fantastic book.
0: But also, yeah, how did five people write well, one exactly. book? Exactly, like, I just can't even get my head around that. We will find I've that written out. a book with one other person, and that was, you know, that, that had its own challenges, let alone mm. five. But anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing about that.
1: Okay, so we our. Usually we talk about a uh, writing or a book about the writing craft or about the marketing books, but I think both of us have been busy reading other books <laughs> of late uh, that we haven't had time to read a book about writing. What have you been reading, Al?
0: Uh, well, I have actually have I, like, been... a little book club session
1: now. Yeah, let's do
0: that. <laughs> well, I've actually... So... Uh, the, I've read a few books of late. I read, of course, Lorinda by Alice Pung for our uh, for the Pink mm. Pink Fibre Book Club last month, and we had a chat with her. Um, but I am actually reading The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh. I'm a bit slow to the party. It's taken me a while because, to be honest with you, I was so put off by Eat, Pray, Love yeah. that I never wanted to pick up one of her books ever again, right. ever, okay, ever. Okay. But I have heard. Um, I'd heard so many good things about this book and it kept coming up in the Pink Fibro Book Club, yes. like lots of people talking about how they'd read it. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to do it. And um, I'm actually really loving it.
1: Right, really? I'm
0: really loving it. Yeah, I am. I think it's fantastic. I love the whole plant hunter thing. I just think it's, you know, it's it's a that's another area of interest for me as far as, you know, like, we, you know, my whole antique map thing goes. Yes. I'm also fascinated by the story of plants and how they came to be, Really? Different, pl- oh God, yeah, I love it. And the whole tulip thing, you know, around the end yes. of, I think it was, I think it was the end of the nineteenth century, where you know, like one tulip was worth, you know, pretty much fifty thousand, uh, you know, dollars out our, of our money and stuff. It was very, very expensive. They were so sought after because you know you couldn't get them. It's also and I, demand, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I just, um, yeah, I find that whole that plants can be such an amazing part of our history. I find it really interesting. So I'm loving it. Mm. Wow. What are great. you reading?
1: Um, well, I'm in this funny situation and this happens when I travel and get on planes because I can't – I seem to have this habit of just before getting on the plane buying a book. Oh. I know. So See,
0: I've got, Authors love people like
2: you. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> so – and hence the importance of being in an airport bookshop. Oh, yeah. Uh, so um, I've actually got three on the go at the moment. I know I should actually just stop and finish – one Mm -hmm. at a time, Mm -hmm. but I am reading a New Zealand author, actually, uh, Sarah Kate Lynch, Heavenly Hirani's School of Laughing Yoga,
0: Were you telling me about this after I got my post about how you freaking makes you angry? Was that you?
1: (laughs) I was actually. So I'm about I'm pretty much halfway through this book and I need to maybe, yeah, pick one of these books and just finish them in some kind of order. But um, it's a little bit you may not like that one because it's a bit eat, pray, love-esque. However, Mm. it is not a memoir. Mm. I'm reading one which is I'm also about halfway through, called Lucky Dog. It's by a Canadian or American, I think Canadian, Uh, author called Dr. Sarah Boston. And uh, the tagline is how being a veterinarian saved my life. And it's actually about um, how she uh, discovered that she had thyroid cancer. And so it's quite an interesting... Journey, I suppose, but she's she's written in a very, you know, with a lot of humour about her journey into, you know, dealing with cancer. Mm. And the one that I bought before I got on the plane and am also halfway through now um, on the weekend is Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, which I don't actually know why I bought this because I do know the Steve Jobs story, but I have to say, I mean, it's a massive book. Uh, Mm. It's, you know, 550 pages or something in tiny writing um and uh it, it's it is stuff that i already know and yet i am riveted because it's written so well
0: well they actually did a kids version of that book as well really yeah they did there's actually a um steve jobs biography for kids wow okay yeah yeah you can actually which i'm actually going to buy my oldest son i think he would really enjoy it yeah yeah, yeah. there's a so maybe you should just swap over to the kids version you might get through it a bit quicker <laughs> Just putting it out there. You know what I'm saying? But then I
1: won't be able to see the, you know, the, the, the beautiful turns of phrases that True. Um, okay. this guy is doing. And I think that's what's really interesting when you read business books is when you can read a business book on a topic that's really dry and uh, and just admire the, the, the words. Mm. Mm.
0: And there, there's not too many of those. Let's no. be, Let's be frank about yeah, that, shall we? Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's not well, too this many. This is on one them.
1: of them, and anything right. by Michael Lewis is one of
0: them. That's actually been on my list for a while. That Steve Jobs book. I was actually contemplating just reading that kids' version before <laughs> I give it to my oldest son. <laughs> just
1: read the real version. <laughs> it's it's page turning. You'll you'll you know. Okay. You, you know what I mean. All right. Um, you'll, on you'll your
0: recommendation, it. I will read it. Yes. Did you like Eat, Pray, Love?
1: Um, I liked most of it.
0: Mm, okay.
1: Um. There was probably about the three-quarter mark, which a lot of books suffer from. Um, I did, my mind did wander a bit. But Mm. I did certainly, again, even though I didn't really enjoy the whining (laughs) um, of the character, even though the character is Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, Mm. I did enjoy the writing. And it was interesting enough for me to then for me to seek out other Uh, stories and books, like I I started reading Committed um, uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert because I was so impressed by the actual writing, but not necessarily by the attitudes. Okay. There you
0: go. writer. I'll leave that with you then.
1: Yes, thanks. Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to the world of blogging.
0: Okay. um, So, I came across a great little post on Writer Unboxed this week, and it's a – Um, one of the questions that I get asked a lot, as you know, is, you know, I'm a writer. Do I need to start a blog? Um, Now, my answer to that is that it depends very much on why you'd be blogging um, and how much time you have and all of those different things. Like, on the whole, I'm for it. I think it's a really great way to build a community and to um, and I, I honestly think my blog has been an incredible asset to me, not just from a perspective of community building, but also just from the perspective of a writing habit and a, a intimacy of voice and just a whole lot of different reasons. Um, so, you know, on the whole, I'm all for it. However, I do believe it's up to every writer to work out, you know, whether they should blog. Yes. Um, and this particular post on Writer Unboxed um, is about helping you to decide, It's called, Should You Be Blogging? Eight searching questions to help you decide. And it goes through questions, you know, like is blogging ultimately about generating sales of your books? Yes, no, maybe. There are actually like question two. Here are some more reasons writers blog. How compelling do they seem to you? And there's seven reasons there which are like, you know, showcasing my work to potential publishers, allowing readers to connect with me. There's a whole range of different reasons. People blog for different reasons. And I think the point of this particular post, is to try to help you work out what your reasons might be Um, because if you're going to start a blog, it's always a really good idea to understand why you're doing it and who you're trying to reach because if you don't understand those two fundamental things, then you're probably going to struggle to get a regular posting schedule going and work out what you're going to write about and all of those things. Um, So, they talk about and they're sort of like, do you enjoy sharing aspects of your daily life on Facebook or other social networks? If you don't like doing that, then blogging can be a difficult thing. You know, do you have time to blog? Um, Is it going to encroach too much on your writing time or are you going to see that as a problem? So, I think if you are an author and you're considering or a writer and you're considering starting a blog... Um, this is a really worthy post to have a look at um, helping you to decide your motivations and whether or not it's actually for you.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think if you do decide to start a blog, it's it's important to have a plan and to be mm. strategic about it as opposed to, oh, my God, I, I don't know what I'm going to blog this week. I'll just put this... This Quit rubbish out, you know. Put up a cat picture. Exactly. So I think it's important to to be strategic about it. And I think also, though, that people should um, open their minds about uh, up to the possibilities of blogging. I mean, you have found blogging very beneficial. I know many other people have found, many other authors have found blogging beneficial. Obviously, if you're already JK Rowling and if you're already selling bazillion books, it's not vital. But if you're actually trying to get cut through, if you're trying to build your author platform, blogging is another form of marketing. And the reality is that it's a wonderful way for readers to connect with you. And if a reader is actually looking at, at Two authors of equal value wondering where they're going to spend their money on and one author they have a chance to get to know one particular author as opposed to one who doesn't put anything else online then chances are they're going to have that connection with that mm. author so mm. i i encourage uh you know authors who are trying to build their platform or to have cut through to, to really seriously think about
0: both. and also if you are going to start doing it you need to start now yeah. like don't don't I was talking to um, to someone recently and, you know, that there's there's a book deal in place and the book is coming out next year and they haven't, they're like, oh, do you, when do you think I should start? I'm like, oh, now? Yeah. Now's good. Now's a really good time. Absolutely. Because this is something I would say. Everyone says to me, I don't know how you fit it in. I don't know how you do all the things. And I'm like, well, I didn't do them all at once. I started with the blog and then mm. I added the Twitter and then I added the Facebook and then I added the newsletter and then I added the podcast and now I'm really tired. But the fact is... <laughs> the matter is that you know I've been blogging for five years so my blog is well and truly established and that's what you need you don't want to be sort of trying to do everything all at the same time just as your book is coming out
1: exactly and Hmm. some authors have said that to me as well is yeah I will start a blog when the book comes out and I just say to them well you will fail yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's so obvious then that you're only trying to connect with people because you want them to buy your book. You
0: and also, it's you know, it's people. hard work, particularly in the early days when you're trying to build a blog and you feel like you're writing to nobody and nobody's mm. seeing your work and, and that, you know, it, you want to get that stuff over and done with as quickly as possible. Yes. <laughs> you know, get to the good stuff.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so who is our writer in the residence
0: this week. Oh, well, we are going to a, an international bestseller this this week. We're, it's quite exciting. Um, I did a fantastic interview with Sylvia Day, who is, of course, uh, well, you know, she sold 16 million books. <laughs> so, you know, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. Um, so we had a terrific talk. And I, I thought one of the most interesting things that came out of this particular Um, interview was her thoughts that she feels that every author should write three manuscripts before they ever submit or self-publish a novel. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about that and the whys of that and all that sort of stuff and, um, you know, just how she got to the point of selling 16 million novels in 11 years. So let's talk about that with Sylvia Day. Today I'm talking to the number one New York Times and number one international best-selling author, Uh, sylvia day whose books have sold more than 16 million copies worldwide i just can't even like even just saying that is exciting she's been writing for 11 years and writes romance and erotica including the phenomenally popular crossfire series as well as fantasy romance under the pseudonym livia dare and urban fantasy under the pseudonym sj day she is one busy lady so hi sylvia thank you so much for fitting us in
2: well, thank you for asking me. I appreciate it.
0: I have no idea how you manage to write all of those things all of the time. You must be, you know, very disciplined, I guess.
2: Oh, well, it, it sounds like a lot uh, when, you, when you, you know, say it in, in a little bio, but uh, my career has 11 years. So when you look at the length of time I've been a professional writer, then it makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> it's a collective body of work. Yeah, that's well, that's and it is quite the body of work. All
0: right, so let's go back to the beginning. Um, Your roots are obviously in romance. Can you tell us a bit about how you got started with romance writing and how you got that first break as far as, you know, uh, becoming a published author? Can you remember back that far?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) It's one of those things you will never forget. Um, But for me, you know, I knew I wanted to be a romance novelist when I was 12. Oh, wow. Um, And so it, it was. It was firm in my mind when I was very young, and it stayed with me you know the entirety of my life I've been very lucky about that and so when I sat down to start writing many years later obviously i didn't I didn't start when I was twelve just had the belief uh, it was two thousand and three and I sat down I wrote my first novel uh, I completed it in a in a little less than two months, and then I immediately started a new project and so forth um so from October to about june of of two thousand and four I was just writing and and building up a collection of finished works. And then an author named Lori Foster in the United States held a contest via um, her publisher where she would uh, take submissions through her website. She would pick 20 of her top submissions and then they would go in front of her editor and her editor would read them neither offer, critique, whatever, but of course there was this possibility that she might like what she wrote and then offer to read more, or perhaps offer publication, and I was fortunate that that is what happened with me. Wow. Lori selected my entry as a finalist, and it went before the editor, and she offered me a contract.
0: Wow, that is such a great story.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> and it's she's, uh, uh, Lori Foster, things.
0: just um, for people who don't know, she I mean, i I remember... Because I I started writing romance uh, quite a while ago, I I actually write children's fiction now. That's a whole other story. But um, she, I loved her stuff. She was amazing, and she—I mean, she still is amazing, as far as I know.
2: Yes, she still continues to write. Um, She's very productive. Yeah, Uh, she releases a few novels a year. Yeah, she's fantastic. And of course, I'm, I'm indebted to her. That's, inc- that's uh, an incredible so
0: story. I just have to ask you, though, let's just go back slightly. How did you know at 12 that you wanted to write romance? Were you reading Sweet Valley High novels? I mean, what, what made I- you think, I want to be a ro-. Did you Did you see someone in a boa on television and think, I want to be that? Like, what happened?
2: Not, you know what it was? Um, uh, yes, I did read Sweet Valley High. When yep. people ask me what I was reading when I was in, in junior high and high school, I say Sweet Valley High. I yep. love that series. Yep. Um, however, it was when my mother handed me an adult romance novel. Wow. Yes. I was 12 years old. I was oh, sitting at the dining table. I was doing my homework, and she walked in, and she set this book on the table next to me, and she goes, I want you to read this, and then I want you to find a man like that. <laughs> And and, uh, and I was right like, story. well, okay, well, of course, at 12 years old, I'm not looking for for any sort of man, but, uh, you know, it was laying there next to math homework, so it was like math, oh, sexy romance novel, math fantastic. romance novel. So, you know, I, I sat down and read that, and that, of course, takes it to a whole nother level from something like Sweet Valley oh, High, yeah. and I was completely hooked.
0: Wow, okay. Um well that is a new, really you, that's one of the best how I got started stories I think I've heard in a really long time. Um but uh, writing romantic fiction is not as easy as people think. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that everybody sort of thinks they'll have a crack at um as per I, myself. Um but it's not as easy as people think. So where do you think most people uh, sort
2: of most writers go wrong with it? They're not focused enough on the characterization. Okay. And and that is that is the the lifeblood of a romance novel, unlike you know the mystery genre when you're trying to figure out you know the who done it sort of thing or a thriller genre, um, horror that sort of thing where you have this external action that's happening, and you're trying to follow along and solve this. In a romance novel, that's not the case. Mm. There are sometimes you know kind of like a, a subplot we call it, uh, you know, something minor happening, you know, externally, but the whole rest of that romance novel is this character growth that these two people are going through, that you're watching them, meeting them as a particular individual, and then by the time you get to the end of the book, they've been completely transformed, not because they've fallen in love, and it's some miraculous thing that happens, but because these people have Made the, the deliberate, conscious and very difficult decision to improve themselves, to make better decisions because they want to be worthy of the person that they 're in love with wow. it's noble it's probably one of the most heroic things that we can do. Yep. You know, I call it everyday magic because you know people are falling in love every day, but that is, is what makes a romance novel captivating to the reader, is watching these people try to overcome these flaws so that we can root for them all the way through and at the end when they get there happily ever after we feel that they've deserved it.
0: Very that's a great great description. So how did you come to write the Crossfire series then because that's been a massive thing for you Um, and you know it really rode that first wave um, with E.L. James in 2012 of, of you know humongously popular. So um, how did it come about? Was it, uh, did you just have an idea for it? Was it a discussion you had with your publisher? How, how did the series come together?
2: The Crossfire series actually started with another novel of mine, which is called Seven Years to Sin. It's a historical romance that I was writing in 2009. Mm-hmm. And Seven Years to Sin is a standalone novel, which means there's just one and there's, there's not multiple in a series. Mm-hmm. And that follows two childhood abuse survivors. Um, Both the main characters, um, Jessica and Alistair, were abused by their parents. And when they meet each other, this creates a special affinity between them. Uh, You know, they feel as if they've met someone who finally can understand them without words because they've experienced the same trauma. And in writing that novel and doing research on that subject over the course of of writing that novel, I was three quarters of the way through the book before it really struck me that I had structured the story wrong. Oh, right. That, unfortunately, while um, many abuse survivors are drawn to each other without, I mean, this is something that you don't typically say to another person until you've built a level of trust, which often takes many years. Mm. But, In spite of the fact that they don't reveal this about themselves early on in the relationship, they will typically find that when they do reveal it, the person that they're with has experienced something similar. Um, And this is documented um, through research that that, uh, survivors are drawn to each other in that way. But their relationships are extremely difficult. They're much more difficult than they are for the average person falling in love because they're coming into the relationship with a lot of baggage. Mm. They've learned individual coping mechanisms for how to deal with their trauma, and that often triggers the other person that they're with in a negative way. And that, to me, was a fascinating dynamic, which I could not explore in seven years to sin, because I'm three-quarters of the way done and the deadline's coming up. So, And then it was, to me, I need to write this story. I need to write this story the way I should have written this story, and I need more room to do it. It's going to need to be more, more books. Um, and uh, I need to, to give it the breadth that it needs to breathe and, and to come alive and, and to do justice to people who have similar storylines. So at that point, um, I started to research the Crossfire novels, which, of course, Gideon and Ava are both um, survivors of childhood sexual abuse, which is different from what Jessica and Alistair went through. But it has similar sorts of, of trauma and coping mechanisms that come out of it that affect them into adulthood. And that's when, you know, I started working on the Crossfire series that was in about 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. The research, of course, having been built up over the, the writing process for seven years since. So so uh, the, the research part of it took from 2009 to 2011. Wow. And then I sat down and began to write the book. And then it released in early 2012.
0: So why do you think that that particular series has touched such a nerve? Like, why why do you think that particular series has been so incredibly popular?
2: Well, I mean, one, the, the easy answer is that the readers who were, you know, early adopters of the story who picked it up were fantastic evangelists who were out there telling other people about the story and uh, and spreading the word about it. But, you know, the, the deeper part of that is that one out of every four women has been exposed to sexual abuse at some point in their lives, and one out of every six men. Mm. So when you look at, you know, 16 million Crossfire readers, a large number of those people have had similar stories um, in their own personal lives. Okay. So, you know, we've, we've heard a lot um, from readers who, who have emailed and saying, you know, finally, there's you know a story for me okay something so you've yeah. got a
0: a new book um captivated by you which is the latest in the series um dealing with the same characters the same couple
2: I'm sorry um the new crossfire novel yes that's right captivated, captivated by yes. You. yeah yes and um, the the crossfire series is five novels Oh, it's and five. we're following yes it's five we've got one more to go. It's called One With You, the last novel, which okay. will be coming out this year. Wow. But we, we have followed Gideon and Ava over the course of four novels so far. The first one was Bared wow. to You. The second one was Reflected in You. The third was Entwined with You. Um, Captivated by You was a bit of a switch from the first three in that it was the first time we got Gideon's point of view. Okay. Um, previously, they had all been written in the first-person perspective from Ava. So, um, you know, and that's because it really, in the first two and a half novels, we were really dealing with, with Ava and her issues. Mm-hmm. And then as we moved to the halfway point of the series, the focus shifted to Gideon and uh, and the last two and a half novels have really been about him.
0: Does it, the fact that you're writing about the same couple, you know, over five books, I mean, that's a very long trajectory that you're dealing with there. Um, it, it, does that is that Does that make it more difficult or... Are, or easier in a way that you know them better as you go through?
2: To a certain extent, it does get easier because you know them. Um, you've also watched them learn from their mistakes over the course of, of, for me, it's been years that I've been living with this couple. Yeah. For them, in real time in the book, it's only been a few months. Oh, Okay. But uh, yeah, the Crossfire series is is a bit unique in that way, in that it's a day by day account of this relationship.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah, we we never skip a day, we never skip a week. Nothing. I mean, we from the time they get up to the time they go to bed, we are with them all the way through. Wow, that's so it. interesting. Yeah. It, it's an interesting structure, um, but it was important because, of course, with these two, um, change happens on a dime, um, and we need to be there when that's happening. It's, now following along with them. The difficulty to it though is that I've lived with them for so long that in ending the series it's um it's like entering a period of bereavement. Yeah, you're gonna miss them. Yes, there's there's a a terrible grieving that I wasn't expecting. So um that that's uh that's unique for me. Mm. I, I've written <clears throat> excuse me, I've written other series following um characters over multiple books but never to this intensity so it's been it's been a, actually a wonderful and terrible experience at once all at once okay
0: um so let's talk about writing sort of erotics or sex scenes because um you know it's obviously a a big part of romance these days how do you prepare for something like that do you do you have a sort of a anything that you are they difficult to get right
2: so, uh, you know, with writing sex scenes have people ask you what what's the most typical aspect about that? You know, is it, you know, trying to find new positions, new thing you know, and uh and that for me that's not the case at all. Uh, for one. Um, I when people ask me what type of erotic fiction I write, I say, Well, it's one man, one woman using the equipment that God gave them <laughs> <laughs> And so for me I don't have to worry about you know differing positions or you know anything like that because it's it's extremely vanilla. I mean it's just uh, you know your everyday man and woman you know having having a, you know a passionate affair. So um, I don't worry about the mechanics of it. That's okay. not important. Mm-hmm. And to me, um, it's not interesting as yeah. a reader. I don't want to hear about tab A and a slot B and that that's just <laughs> not interesting to me. Um, I'm also not interested. Um, in, in storylines with a bunch of, you know, toys and tools and all that other thing like that, because I feel it distracts from what the core of that scene should be, which is two pe- people connecting physically in a way that they can't emotionally or verbally. Okay. That's what makes that scene integral to the book. And really, I always look at um, any time I'm reading, either in my work or somebody else's work, Did this scene further the character growth? Did it move the relationship forward? Are these people different at the end of the scene than they were at the beginning of the scene? If so, then yes, that scene is integral to the story. It has to be there. If you pulled it out and tried to read the scene before and the scene after, you'd be confused. Oh that what happened? Some he's not the same or she's not the same. Something, you know, is is happening. And that is what makes a love scene work. So, as I'm writing them, my focus is on what are they, why, why did they come into this intimate scene? What did they come into it with, hoping to achieve? Are they trying to say something? Are they, you know, are they angry? Are they, are they happy? Are they so in love they want to, they, they can't say it. They need to express it in a different way. Or do they have a goal? Are they, are they trying to manipulate the other person in, in a particular way? And all of those things, you know, of course, knowing the motivation of the characters when they come into it, realizing that motivation over the course of the scene, and then getting them to the other side where they've come to an epiphany of sorts. Uh, see,
0: they're, that's, they're
2: really the most difficult scenes in a book to write. I was going to
0: say, because I, I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, oh, that's even harder than, you know, slot A into tab B, because you're, you know, you're dealing basically from the core emotion Of the scene and writing the core emotion of any scene is always the most difficult thing.
2: Would you agree? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Very difficult. I take it. Because in order to get that emotional intensity across to the reader, you have to feel it yourself. So in my case, if I'm not crying in a scene where the character's crying, then it's off, there's something wrong. If I'm not laughing when the characters are laughing, if oh, I'm not wow. grieving when they are, I mean, all of those things. So as the writer, you know, you're sitting in your chair in emotional mess.
0: I was going to say, you must be exhausted at the end of every day.
2: It, it it can be exhausting, yes. And I've had certain books that I've worked on that have taken so much out of me that my family has been like, you've got to stop writing this book. It's killing you. Oh, gosh. Um, but, uh, you know it, of course, with those difficult books when you get to the end are the ones that you, you're the most proud of and yeah. and the ones that you're just so energized to have finished. So, so The what payoff you... is at the end. <laughs> well, as in everything, the payoff is at the end. <laughs> um, so
0: what do you think um, are the biggest changes in romance fiction that you've experienced over your career, over your 11 years?
2: Oh, there's been so many. Um, I mean, really, when I started... There were two ways to publish. You were either picked up by a publishing house or you vanity published. So you, know, you paid uh, you know, an outfit to uh, you know, print your book, and then you were you know, handing them out to friends and family, but there was no way to sell them anywhere else. Mm. Um, and that was it. That was your two options. And getting into a publishing house was extremely difficult. Um, agents were gatekeepers, so you really needed to get an agent on board first, and you had to hope that they were a really good one who had great contacts within e- within the industry and had some clout to get your work noticed, so that you could get picked up and and you know have your career get started. I was fortunate in um, entering that contest and winning that contest mm, yep. that I bypassed that whole process of of having to query you know, agents for years and years and years until you found somebody who actually could sell your work. So, I mean, I, I was, I, I still, you know, thank, uh, thank God every day that that was, you know, my path instead of the other. Mm. But that's what we had. And then it took a while. You know, I'm, I was also writing erotic fiction. I've I've always written erotic fiction, which is, um, you know, I, I like to explain to people is not erotica. Erotica is a particular type mm. of erotic fiction. Yep. Um, which follows the individual journey of a particular character. It doesn't follow a romance. I write erotic romance, so um, my my journey is always following a couple toward a happily ever after. It's yep. two very different things. But um, I've always written erotic romance. Um, my entire body of work is erotic fiction. And at the start of my career, there were very limited places to sell erotic fiction, there was one main imprint uh, in the United States, and there was one overseas in the UK, um, Black Lace, and that was your options. I was published with both of them, and then um, digital reading became a thing, and what? this was in this was in two thousand and five. And in the United States, we had a digital only company that came up that specialized entirely in erotic fiction. Yes. So now there was a third place where I could sell work uh, because there were some of the bigger publishing houses that were picking up erotic fiction, but unfortunately um, they uh, they didn't know how to market it. They didn't know how to package it. Often it ended up in the self-help section of the bookstore, <laughs> which y- you weren't reaching any of the romance readers. So, no. I mean, really, if you stuck to to those three publishers who specialized in erotic fiction, you had a greater chance of reaching the audience that your books were intended for. So I started, um, you know, with a digital-only publisher. There's stigma attached to it. I mean, there was a lot of, um, you know, kind of blowback from, from other writers who were like, I don't understand you. You're published in with a big New York publishing house, and, and now you're doing this ebook thing? Ebook is where you go when nobody else will buy your work. Yeah. And um, that, yeah, and so that said, is you know, a big change, isn't it? It is. It's yeah. a huge change. Yeah. That was a difficult thing to overcome, but um, I... I sold very well in ebook from the very beginning. Um, to this day, um, in most territories, I'm 50% ebook to paperback. And that's just that, that's about typical. There are some territories where it's much greater than that. In the United States, it's almost 70% digital to paperback for me, which is skewed from the norm. For most writers, it's skewed for the norm for romance. It's just an anomaly, and I think that's because I started with ebooks so so early on that I've built a base of readers yep. who have always stuck with that format. Okay, so so, so you, it,
0: by getting in early, you've managed to you know parlay that into a huge success.
2: Yes, um, it, yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's it's been a, it's been huge for me. Obviously, it's as you know we said when you're um, when you're selling so many ebooks that's that's a huge part of of my overall audience, my reach um one of the reasons why uh, I think I've been fortunate to be so successful so um, it's
0: well just while we're on that you you have re- I noticed you recently reached the half a million mark on your Facebook page like you've got half a million followers um, it, has that been part of your strategy from the start have you used have you sort of used social media um to kind of you know get yourself out there? From the beginning, or you know, is is that a recent thing for you? Like, how much time do you spend there?
2: No, I've um I've had my social media accounts for a very long time, right. and was an early adopter um of of social media. You know, starting with MySpace when it was huge. Oh wow! Um, okay. I moved over to Facebook when nobody had really heard of it. Um, I've been on Twitter for for many years now, um, but it wasn't really. It, the thought wasn't really to use social media to sell books, but it was a way to, to connect with readers. Right. Um, starting in you know the very first part of my career, um, in 2005, I started attending major conferences and conventions for readers and writers in the United States. Um, that has continued the entire length of my career. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm here in Australia meeting yeah. with readers. Yeah. I'm on the road about six months out of the year, So social media is another way for me to connect with readers when I can't be there in person. And I have found uh, over the course of my career that having that personal connection with readers, um, just the day-to-day sharing of things um, that sometimes have absolutely nothing to do with writing or books, Um, you know, a great movie that I saw, a TV show that I love to follow, so forth, builds that intimate connection between me and them And it enables me, one, to kind of know what it is that they're hoping for, not just in a particular storyline, but just in general. The sorts of things that they like, their tastes and so forth. Um, And it allows them to get to know me better, which in turn helps them understand my books better. So which is
0: exactly the right way to use social media. And obviously, you know, you've been doing it for such a long time that you, you're, you're across that. Do you think it's an important part of every author's job? Do you think every author should be thinking about it?
2: No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't. I, and the thing is, if you enjoy doing it, which I do, I enjoy it. Yep. To me, you know, it's a fun part of my day. It's fantastic. I have some writer friends of mine, they feel awkward. It's uncomfortable. They don't know what to post. They're kind of stumbling through it. Um, it causes a bit of anxiety for them. They spend too much time thinking about things before they post them, which, you know, it, at the core of it, is detracting from their time to write. Yeah, and that. So it's one of those things where try it. Everybody should try it, and if you enjoy doing it, then then go ahead. It's fantastic. It's great. It works for you. If you don't enjoy it, it's apparent. It's not going to get you the sort of feedback that you're hoping that it will. It'll be an unhappy experience for you. And forget it. You know, the number one thing any writer can do is to write the next book. Yeah. Okay. So, Speaking of writing the next book, you just said that you
0: spend around six months on the road. I know that you're the co-founder of Passionate Inc., which is a specialist chapter of the Romance Writers of America. You've been the president of RWA, and yet you still manage to write stuff. So my question has to be: How do you fit it in? Like, are you scheduling your time to make that balance between writing and promotion?
2: No, I'm. A, I, I can't work that way. Okay. Um, I tried in the past, and you know, and I tell writers all the time. That they need to to experiment and find what works best for them. There is no one way to write a book. There's only your way, whatever that happens to be. You have to discover what that is. In my case, I learned early on that if I tried to do a particular page count or meet a particular word count every day, it would not work for me. Mm. It's uh, it it becomes you know writing by route instead of writing from the heart and the words don't connect with me and they don't connect with readers. I'm a very organic writer. It's it, when it's there, it's going to pour out and it and and it's going to be fabulous. I'm going to love it and it will connect with readers the way it's supposed to. So I've learned um over time to let that process happen as it will. And that may mean that I'll and now part of that is I sit at the computer every day. I I'm at the computer every single day and you have to do that. Yeah. Um, if you're just wandering around doing other things and hoping it's going to strike, it's, that's never going to work. But, um, you know, I'll sit at the computer every day and I may go a week or two weeks and write, you know, write maybe, you know, a hundred words. Mm. And, um, I used to get frustrated by that. You know, I'm like, I'm never going to get this book done if that's all I'm doing. But then, you know, two weeks later, I may have this huge writing jag where I'm just writing for days and days and days I'll write half a book in two weeks. Wow. And so I've learned that that I have to let my process, you know, evolve the way it needs to, the story to grow and develop in my mind the way it needs to so that when it's ready, it will just come out. So that's that's the way it works for me. Okay. Um, Other people's mileage will vary. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you love most about
0: writing? Do you still feel the same way about it that you did when you were starting out?
2: Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's necessary to me. Uh, I can't imagine ever stopping. Mm. Um, even if there was not another soul on the planet who was reading my work, I would still be writing. Uh, it's just that there's a... I, and I try to explain it to, to people who are non-writers, but when you hit that zone, that that, that place where the words are just pouring out, the story is just unfolding, um, it's euphoric, yeah, and finishing a book, getting to the end, there's such a sense of accomplishment to it, and relief, and and pride, and, and it's this mixture of emotion that you you rarely feel, um, and it's necessary. It becomes very necessary to a writer to have those moments, uh, and so the act of writing a book is actually just part of the process of getting to those those highlights <laughs> i will put up with this just so i can get to the good bit <laughs> yes that's right <laughs> to get to that point where i finish a particular scene and go yes
0: yes <laughs> i
2: nailed it it's perfect you know i mean that that's just yeah i mean it, it's it's so euphoric that you'll get up and do a little dance and you know you're just so excited and yeah i, I mean it, it's yeah. It's true you have to have it
0: All right, so just to finish up our very entertaining and informational uh, talk, um, your top three tips for romance writers, people who want to, you know, who want to be you, Sylvia, basically.
2: (laughs) What are your top three tips? The first one is pretty simple. You have to keep writing. Yeah. You have to produce manuscripts. So unfortunately, you know, it's, that you're picking at something. I mean, I I see people who are like, I've been working on this story for 10 years. It's like, no, I'm not, no. No. <laughs> it's never going to work. Yeah. Um you have to produce work and uh, you know, you have to figure out what your pace is, but it's absolutely important that you get past the first story. Okay. The other thing is produce 3 manuscripts before you think about publication. Oh, that's a good tip. Uh, Yes. Uh, you know, Nora Roberts once said to me, she goes, Anyone nowadays can publish a book. Not everyone can write one. Oh, and she's absolutely <laughs> right. Yep. She is absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. In today's age of easy digital self publishing, uh, we see people who finish their very first work and put it up for sale. Mm. That is. Rarely a good idea. Um, One, even if you happen to have a great grasp of the English language, your grammar, your punctuation, if you don't have any of those issues, um, you will still not know who you are as a writer or what your stories are meant to be. At that stage in your in your writing career, mm. every author has a theme, every author has a strength, every author has a weakness, and you have to recognize what those things are. And for me, I feel that it takes three novels to do that. Okay. So I tell people to Good write too. three books and then think about publishing something because you will have learned so much about yourself and your style at the end of three novels that that you will be able to to really put a work up for sale that is very reflective of you and something you can be proud of for, from, from now until you, till you pass on.
0: Fantastic. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for your time today, Sylvia. I know that you have a very, very busy schedule and we very much appreciate you fitting us in. And uh, we hope that you enjoy the rest of your visit to Australia. I'm sure it'll be, um, well, excellent warm yeah at least it's warm of course right? it's
2: australia <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. how could it be anything but fantastic all right
0: well thank you so much thank you bye-bye bye
1: 16 million books i mean oh my god
0: and counting <laughs> you know more and more to come i just yeah it was oh. it was an interesting chat and she's um oh she's a really nice lady like really
1: yeah. <laughs> Goodness me. Can't go wrong with a romance
0: writer. That's all I'm saying.
1: Well, yes. Mm. It's just a genre that is just so popular, isn't it? And readers Mm. who read that genre will just read it again and again and again. Yep, yep. All right. So I want to move on to our app pick for the week. Now, it's actually an app that I have not tried yet. So I'm keen. Okay. I'm Keen to to give it a go, but if any listeners are already um, using this app, we would love to hear from you and get the verdict from you, and we can certainly report back. But it's called Ulysses for Mm. iPad. Mm. and it says that it's a powerful tool made for writers whether you're an author a journalist or student and one of the things that it's saying is that um, it's got a desktop experience because some people often say I don't like writing on my iPad and um, uh, but apparently this makes it so easy that um, that uh, it's quite a good experience and I'm often reminded of that conversation i will never forget it you know with Tristan banks the author Tristan banks mm. uh, who had who says he goes for a walk in the morning on the beach. Um and by the end of his walk, he's typed out 2,000 words on his iPhone. And I just <laughs> think, wow, do you know, that's, I don't know how that's even possible.
0: How do you type and walk? He,
1: well, clearly it's a very deserted beach mm-hmm. with no obstacles in the he's, way.
0: He's clearly not taking Procracy Pop with him. That's all <laughs> he, I'm yeah, saying. Hell
1: no. Mm. So, um, but he just sits and he types with his thumbs um, <laughs> on his iPhone. I'd
0: walk into trees if I tried to do that.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> Obviously, there are no trees on this beach. <laughs> but anyway Ulysses for iPad uh also, you, you so basically it says that you can type, you know, on your iPad, but then it can create PDFs with what you've typed, or mm-hmm. it can create web pages or iBooks ready EPubs with only a few taps. So if anyone has tried Ulysses for iPad, we would love to hear from you to to know whether it's worth, you know, shouting out more about. Um, but it looks really great. The screenshots, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. But the screenshots um, make it look really attractive, and I'm definitely going to give it a go.
0: Fantastic. Um, Speaking of hearing from people, I just wanted a quick shout-out to Sarah Uh, Sarah Todman. Hello, Sarah. Um, Sarah sent me an email this week saying, just a quick email to say thank you. Your podcast with Valerie got me thinking about starting a blog. And last month, the Australian Writers' Centre Blogging for Beginners online course helped me to actually do it. It's days, very early days, but I'm excited to have made a start.
1: Oh,
0: good on you, Sarah. So, good on you. So, the blog is uh, Say Anything, Sarah. And Thank you, Sarah, for, you know, we do love people. Thanks for letting us know, and we absolutely love people who act on the, on the stuff we talk about. You know that. Yeah. So we're thrilled to hear from you. Can't
1: wait to read more of your blog, Sarah. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we also got a question this week. So this is going to be our working writer's tip, and this is from Jackie Phillips, and Jackie has, says, uh, can you recommend something that will cover off the question how not to get bogged down in the plot? So, if you're writing a you know a novel, how mm. not to get bogged down in the plot? I'm mm-hmm. going to throw that over to you, Al, since you're the you know, one who's written the who's written the novel most recently.
0: Right. Okay. So, yeah, you know, I I find this to be a really interesting question because um, anyone who knows me will know that plotting is not really my thing, um, in the sense that I don't do it before I start to the mostly um so i don't i'm not a plotter i don't sit down and mark out scene by scene um we spoke to kylie ladd in one of our earlier podcasts and she uses a spreadsheet and she Mm -hmm. talks about you know the the process of that and that's really worth listening to uh jackie you may actually find that particular podcast very very useful um but uh, for me, I don't tend to work that way. I, I might, uh, with my series, with the Mapmaker Chronicles, I did write a bit of an outline just so I had an idea of, you know, the fact that I could actually get through three books worth of stuff. Um, but I just, you know, that really started with me with an idea, like how did they map the world? And with that question, I had this notion of a boy who just didn't really want to go and there was Quinn. And so I kind of just put him on a boat in a race and off we went. <laughs> um yep (laughs) (laughs) that was the start of that whole thing um So, yeah, that's not really how I work. I'm what they call more of a pantser. So, I tend to start with a character and and an idea and then I start writing. And there are days where it's true, I I will write 400 words because I don't know what's going to happen next and Mm. that can be a problem. But I find the best thing to do if I'm getting stuck with any aspect of writing is just to walk away from it for a while and do something else. So, that's why I tend to be quite happy to be a working writer on many levels. I'm always working on different things which means I've always got something else to do so if the actual plot or the story isn't working for me on that particular time you know I go and write some corporate Thing or I write a feature article or well, you know I, I go write and, it all or I go and weed the garden. Yeah. Weeding the garden is awesome, as is walking the dog. Yeah. Um, so I think that and and it's amazing how your subconscious will work through thorny plot problems mm. uh, while while you're not using it. It's it's really quite extraordinary. And you come back refreshed and you go, oh, that's it. That's what I need to do. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's the case. And So if you're getting really stuck on a scene, um, sometimes if that you know if you really can't find a way through it. Write the next scene, see what see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know like you people get you can get caught up in details and then you realise that they're actually not that important. Um, so look, I think that again, I would have a listen to the Kylie Ladd uh, interview, but I would also have a listen to the Leanne Moriarty interview or the Michael Robotham interview, mm-hmm. neither of whom do any plotting at all. Mm-hmm. And have a listen to how they work because sometimes a combination of the two things can be very helpful. Um, and I also have lots and lots and lots of posts on my blog, uh, alisontate.com in the writing category. Uh, I've been writing, as I said, blog posts for five years. A lot of them cover off all the different aspects and I've interviewed lots and lots of different authors and editors and publishers and all sorts of different people about all the different aspects of uh, writing as well. So perhaps have a trawl through there and see what you can find.
1: Yeah, great idea. So, I, and I think that that's an important point is that just try something different mm. in terms of the way you approach your writing or walk away from your writing for a little while so mm. that you're not constantly thinking about it. You know, I uh, recently I've had a writing issue that's been plaguing me for six months because I haven't figured out how to move past this. How, how to write this particular thing? It's not, it's not plot related, but it's definitely writing related. And I just haven't figured out. Been thinking about it, and and you know procrastinating, and just well, just blocked really. Mm. And I just sort of thought, oh, this is ridiculous. Gave up. And I, like last week, I just was pondering so much. And I thought, stuff it. I'm going to watch Hawaii Five O.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah.
1: So com- something completely mindless. Yes. <laughs> completely useless.
0: Yes. Are you talking about the new Hawaii five o? The new Hawaii five o. With that really short guy in it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm
0: so distracted by him. I just can't even watch the show. But all right, yep, keep going. <laughs> really short guy. Keep going. Okay,
1: James Kahn. Yeah, is that who it is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so I watched Hawaii Five O and I just couldn't believe it. It was, you know, two o'clock in the morning and it was bang. It just all came to me, and I'm emailing people, and I'm going, "This is exactly—I know exactly what to do now. It's all clear, and bang, it's gone." But it's because I let myself—I gave myself permission to completely turn off and not even think about this problem, which had been on my mind for so long. Yeah, and just watch Wi Fi. So yeah. everyone just watch Wi Fi. Watch Wi Fi,
0: because <laughs> I think the problem is that you get so you worry away at it for yes. so. So much that you just, you lose the crux of what you're trying to do anyway. So you're much better off. And mindless tasks are what you need. Mindless. Absolutely. Mindless. Yeah. So many in my life. So many.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so... What, so this brings us to the end. Of our oh, we're at the what end.
0: What a good, what a good place to end with us yes. both laughing hysterically about our mindlessness. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, thing,
1: What mindless or non-mindless things will you be doing this week? Oh, well, you're you going to.
0: I'm going to be so mindful yes. because I'm going to be talking to lots of people about writing and. Um, yeah. You know, I'll be worried about whether I've got the right shoes on, but at least I'll know what I'm talking about, so shoes. that'll be all right. No
1: one's going to see your shoes when you're oh, well, the little writers festival.
0: This is the kind of stuff I get stressed about, though. Like, oh, these, it's like a details thing. I, I don't worry about standing up in front of 500 people. I worry about whether my shoes are right. Well, I think it just frees my mind up to, you know, talk about writing. I don't know. Sure. I can't work it out. Anyway, well, what are you going to be doing?
1: Uh, we're going to be busy this week because we've launch, we're launching our new course, How to Get More Blog Readers. So that actually uh, follows on from what we were talking about um, in this podcast, if you are writing a blog and, mm-hmm. you know, if you've already got it started, you want to get more readers. And this course, this is an online course, so you can do it from anywhere. Uh, it's really comprehensive, goes through all of the steps that you need to take to get more blog readers so um yeah we'll Perfect. put the link in the show notes but otherwise just go to writerscenter.comau and search for how to get more blog readers mm. so there you go so it. We, Wrap if, it up. if you have a question for us please email us podcast at au, or you can find us on social media where can we find you Al?
0: Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate and you'll also find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer.
1: And I'm at Valerie Coo, and uh, we look forward to chatting to you next week.
0: We do.